Welcome, everyone. It is episode two of Hold Down the Fort. I am one of your spokespersons. I am Michael Gold uh, here with you today. Super excited. Uh, first day of Rilling Signing Day. We got a lot of stuff to talk about college football, but even beyond that, got a couple of other experts uh, that are going to be discussing some football um, or soccer, as some may know, um, as well as the NFL. Um, I don't know. Y'all already introduced yourselves last episode. I don't think we got to do all that rookie stuff anymore. Um, I will say, though, uh, we definitely want to make sure that if y'all are watching the video, um, apart from, you know, subscribing and liking, obviously, I, I, I feel so bad saying that because every YouTuber always says that kind of stuff. And it's just like now I'm in this weird position where I have to say it. But even beyond that, in the comments section, please flood it with questions, um, you know, maybe some hot takes. Uh, we really want to be interactive with y'all. Um, we're planning on having some super cool guest speakers in the near future. Really hoping we get Josh paid on here eventually. I know it's only episode two. It's really ambitious, but I'm wearing the plain white shirt just like he does. Um, and, you know, I have a bold take, I guess. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but this might be the best sports weekend in history, in the history of sports. I mean, I know they played like some basketball in like the I don't even know how long ago it was. And they had like the actual like baskets up there. And, and I don't really know what was going on then. But I think that this weekend might just be the best weekend in sports history you have any thoughts on that we y'all agree maybe yeah i mean i'd have to i'd have to agree like you know there's no no event that happened more important than the world cup and while we did have amazing football games amazing you know other basketball games like michael was mentioning amazing college football games the world cup really took center stage um we talked a little bit about it in the last episode but this episode we're mainly talking about our our takeaways um you know what you know what comes after and um i actually have a few f questions for the guys following the world uh, following my you know brief description of what i thought of the world cup so i honestly i like, couldn't get sleep the night before i was really excited and when i woke up i rushed over to start watching and from the get-go i was just you know i was enthralled it was pretty uh back and it was a pretty back and forth game um my my prediction of argentina kind of holding the ball uh, at the beginning of the game was correct. But over the course of the game, as Argentina kind of sat back, France got most, most of the possession in the second half, which I think kind of allowed them to come back into the game and tie it up 2-2, which was unreal, by the way. Um, the the fact that Mbappe was able to score two goals in like, what, 93 seconds or something? That was unreal. Created an amazing first half, oh, amazing first and second half. And uh, ended up going to overtime, another two goals in overtime, which was also unreal because when you thought it was over, it was not. And then went to penalties. And obviously, Argentina came up on top, which was, you know, what I was hoping for. I'm pretty sure everyone else in this call was hoping for. But my question concerns Lionel Messi and this other guy, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo. Where does that, where does this World Cup leave you on the GOAT debate? Who is your goat after this World Cup right now? Uh, first, I'll, I'll give it to Michael. What do you? What are your thoughts? Well, me personally, I thought Messi was the goat before this World Cup. I mean, I and for me, it's it's a, it's pretty simple. I, I think it's mostly if you just look at the numbers. I mean, the guy is a better passer. Um, he's more assists per game, more goals scored per game, um, more Ballon d'Ors. Like, I I just think that you know, th there really isn't too much of like a debate to be had. I, I completely recognize Ronaldo is probably the second best player of all time. Um, super talented guy. Um, you know, I don't want to take anything away from him, but I think especially with this world cup, 
um, if there was any question um, who was best, I think it really put those arguments to rest. I mean, for instance, like my TikTok is just riddled with people that were, you know, previous Ronaldo goats, goat like believers. And now they're kind of admitting that, you know, Messi is, has over, overtaken him. Um, I thought he was the goat before. I think this really, really cemented him as the goat. Um, that's kind of where I stand. Um, Vinay, I think you, you may have a, a bit of a different opinion. Um, well, here's the thing. The question is, who is your goat? So I'm guessing it's subjective. And, you know, I'm not necessarily a delusional Ronaldo supporter where I'll walk up to the table and try to convince a Messi fan that Ronaldo is the goat objectively. But I will say that as, as much as I've seen what Messi's done, he is objectively, in my opinion, the goat. But he, he wouldn't he's not necessarily my goat because just because of the impact that like Ronaldo's had on me in terms of I've been watching him like since I got into soccer and, and immediately as soon as I got into soccer, just seeing what this guy had already done and then seeing how he had progressed through the latter end of his career uh, really just cemented him as my favorite player. And when I played soccer, I'd always try to buy CR7s off my teammates. I would basically just try to be Ronaldo on the field. I was number seven, even though I wasn't like necessarily that great. Like I basically took everything that I saw from Ronaldo as, as heavily inspirational and and it like made me fall in love with the game in terms of both playing and watching soccer. So yeah, definitely the greatest for me is, is Ronaldo. I'll always support him over Messi. I'll always uh, have a certain um, respect for him just because of that personal impact. But, you know, you got to hand it to him. I'm not going to be delusional. This was an incredible run for Messi, uh, what he did with his, with his team, uh, how he took them to the World Cup final, how he displayed that, that class in a final where everything turned chaotic and he was able to be calm, slot away that penalty in the shootout, cool, calm, collected, cemented his legacy. That's a man who j just you knew – he he really had nothing left to prove after after that final whistle and and you know I got to give him props objective goat yeah I'm not going to be delusional and, and try to convince you otherwise but my goat will forever be Ronaldo and I'm just kind of kind of sad with the way things turned out for him uh, it's actually a really sad situation um, so Ronaldo fans anyone who is out there Ronaldo fan I feel you you know it's hard to suck it up but we have to. Uh, hopefully he gets his moment, his uh, waning moment, and uh, we'll have something to celebrate. But yeah. Yeah, um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about, you know, what the future holds for Ronaldo and Messi. But Sam, I wanted to hear what your thoughts are as kind of like a neutral in this perspective. Yeah, I, it was probably neck and neck before coming into the World Cup. You know, I think you were probably split 51-49 relatively down the middle with Ronaldo and Messi. But for me, I mean, now he's got, you know, the coveted, trophy under his belt the world cup ronaldo can't say that so that's i feel like that's the big separator right there i mean not as big of a point but also just look where they are at in their careers right now like club wise you know messi's still a strong contributor to a dominant french psg team while you know, ronaldo's kind of selling out to go play in saudi arabia for you know whatever hundreds of millions a year but he's you know he's He's bounced around now. He was Juventus to Man U, and he has problems at both of those. So now he's just taking money. He's basically admitted, you know, that the club and the Champions League era of his career is over. So he's just doing it for the money now. So I think you got to kind of look at who's still going strong and who's kind of phasing out in their career when you look at the GOAT. Yeah, all those points make sense. And I kind of wanted to touch upon what Vinay kind of said, like, 
you know, Vinay was kind of talking about how, you know, he grew up, you know, watching Ronaldo and kind of seeing him like play throughout his career. And now he's kind of at the twilight of his career, which kind of brought me like a little bit of a, a question. Like, do you think Ronaldo, maybe not the greatest soccer player of all time, do you think he's the greatest athlete of all time? He's what pushing his late thirties, early forties has not had um, serious injuries besides, you know, that, oh, the knee injury he suffered in the Euro finals against France. To me, I think he's a serious contender. You know, he takes a lot. He takes great care, you know, of his body. And till till this day, I think he's a, one of the top strikers in the world. Maybe not, you know, uh, up to the levels of Messi, but I would, still con- I would still consider, you know, him to be a top player and a top contender for any striker for any single team in Europe. So, Are we talking about phys- physical athlete or, or like, career-wise, like, the achievements in his respective sport athlete? Because if we're talking physical specimen, then uh, then I probably might have a few that I put ahead of him. But if we're talking just accolades in his own sport, then I think I, I kind of understand it more. Yeah, yeah. It was honestly – I was honestly talking a little bit more towards, like, the, the accolades. Like, okay. he's won – like, he's won – well, I don't even know how many uh, prem, like, uh, championships with, with Manchester United – won countless La Ligas with Real Madrid, countless, uh, I don't even know how many Champions League, must have been like, what, four or five, two City uh, titles, I think. And, you know, for me, I think despite, you know, the, the you know, discrepancies that we have with, you know, the Messi-Ronaldo debate, I think he's a serious contender for one of the greatest athletes of all time. Yeah. I, yeah. I probably put a couple of different guys ahead of him in terms of just me the too. greatest physical athlete. Um I mean, like probably like Messi, MJ, LeBron, like Wayne Gretzky. But we're talking just soccer. I would put Tom um, Brady too. I don't, I don't think we can I mean, get yeah, Tom Brady yeah. out of that. Seven I mean, if we are, and if one we're of them, saying, okay, but at, forty, like, like he was post forty. I don't know. Brady is a really interesting conversation that we should probably have another time because we could probably talk about it for like a very long time. But I don't know. I don't necessarily think Brady is like the best athlete like like a physical from a physical standpoint oh, well, well we know that but when we talk about ath- oh, athletes, well, yeah, like said. yeah and this comes down to like a very meta debate about like you know what how do you define athlete like who is the best athlete who is the goat right and this is something we could all i also think like it gets into a debate of like which sport is like harder like is it american football yeah. or, or is you know soccer harder you know like yeah. for me i think you know Obviously, I, I'm a huge soccer fan, so I will 100% say that soccer is the hardest sport that you can play. Um, and also, at the top level, you know, like a guy like Messi has to compete, from, compete with players from all over the world, whereas, you know, let's say a Tom Brady can only compete with majority of, of players from, you know, North America. You know what I'm trying to say? So the yeah, level of competition the is... In the world, the ones that are in North America. Like, there's no better American I football players than the ones that I are in America. I think focusing back on Ronaldo... I just gotta I just gotta lay a few things out. Uh Sam had mentioned earlier, sort of decorating him as a sellout. First off, I think as a Manchester United <laughs> fan, I will wholeheartedly say that it was an it was a, it went both ways in terms of the club kind of brought him in without real any real direction or purpose behind bringing him in besides you know keeping him away from other clubs and trying to give the fans something to cheer about in a rebuilding era. And so I think the club really didn't do justice by him. Of course, there are a few incidents, but that's just a testament to his his competitive drive. And he definitely was not in the same like direction with the club. And Juventus, uh, you can talk more to Rohan about that, but I certainly don't think that it was 
it was necessarily a sellout by him. There was a lot of manager turnover when he got there, and they really weren't able to push for. No, no, I wasn't saying Juventus was the sellout. I was just saying. No, no, no. no. But you mentioned Juve and Man United, and being like he kind of like sold both of them out on his way to Saudi a Saudi offer that he hasn't taken yet at 37. So yeah. I think so, so actually, so sorry to cut you off today. Speaking of the Saudi Arabian offer, I kind of want to touch upon what the future kind of holds for both Messi and Ronaldo. So actually news just broke today from the legendary sports soccer journalist Fabrizio Romano. Here we go. Messi has verbally agreed to sign a two-year deal with an option for a third year with Paris Saint-Germain, which kind of locks him down for the future of France uh, in France. There was rumors of like him coming to to Inter Miami, Miami. FC, which I'm kind of glad he didn't. I think you know a lot of like great stars like just like like to come to the MLS to take the money and kind of just like relax at the end of their careers. I'm kind of glad he didn't do that, I and mean, he's still like competing at that higher level. Um, and Ronaldo, you know, his future is still up in the air. So, do you guys think that he is a competitor for a starting position at you know any top club in Europe? Well, I think first off, we can't compare Ronaldo's career uh, trajectory right now to Messi's just because Ronaldo's 37. Yeah, and at 35, yeah, yeah. Just... at 35, he was the top scorer at like Juve, came, came into United as the top scorer. So obviously Messi has a few more years left in him. But in terms of what I've seen from Ronaldo, it's not very encouraging in terms of the burst he can bring to a club, to a top contending club. Uh, I think if he's willing to take a reserved role and add to the depth, I think that Ronaldo is capable of providing a spark, you know, fitness aside, you know, pressing aside in a system that's attacking, that's, you know, ball dominant, center forward or way. I think that he still has a lot to, a lot to give. Definitely not in a in a rebuilding team, definitely not in a, in a team that's not necessarily attack-oriented and center forward friendly. So it'll be, I don't know. I think he's not washed 100%. He is washed when he compared it to his prime, but I think he can offer something in the depth range to a great team. Not as a plug him in as a focal point of your team, but if he's willing to take that reserved role, he still can contribute from the bench in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I don't know. For, I, to kind of change the subject, like with Messi, like I was really hoping we were going to get that LeBron-esque like I'm coming to South Beach announcement. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. It looks like it's not happening. Um, maybe maybe down the road I could see it happening. Um, I don't know if, if y'all agree with that, but um, very interesting um, news today. Um, I did want to ask y'all another question. I know we didn't really have it on, on schedule or on the agenda, um, but, you know, as we kind of talk about this GOAT debate, it appears that there's kind of a race for who the next GOAT is going to be, um, whether that be Mbappe, um, Holland. Um, I mean, there's a bunch of other talents out there too, young stars, but where what do we think? I mean, I know Mbappe had a, an incredible performance and, and, you know, I believe he did as well. Um, he just took over that game in, in the blink of an eye. Um, before you know it, it's, it's tied game 2-2. Um, kind of just sunk a spear into the hearts of Argentina fans for a second there. Um, but what, what do y'all think about, about that kind of battle going forward? Do you think it's going to be a battle in the future? Um, or do you think one is going to quickly show their dominance? I, I'm, for me, at least, I know Mbappe had an incredible performance, especially in that final but I don't know. I'm just going to play devil's advocate here and, and, and say that, you know, two of Mbappe's goals in that final were penalties. Like, it's, it's a great finish. It's a great strike, that second goal, 81st minute. Um, I thought he was honestly going to take another touch. He just does not have any hesitation. Banks in the bottom right corner. Um, 
And like I said, just like that, it's two, two, almost like it was nothing, but what do we, what do we think going forward about these two, these two stars? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think I, I, I actually see a lot of parallels between Mbappe and Holland that I do to Messi and Ronaldo. Like I honestly compare Holland more to Ronaldo is that he's like, you know, has like a, a tall build. He's a, a like a, he's not a winger like Ronaldo was uh, earlier on in his career, but he's a striker. He, you know, he's, his main talents are, you know, you know, putting the ball in the back of the net. Whereas Mbappe, I think he kind of, you know, has the traits similar to Messi where he, you know, can produce and also score. So I do think that those two will lead the race in like the next like goat debate or whatever. But do I think that either of them will overtake or surpass Messi and Ronaldo? Maybe Ronaldo, maybe not Messi. I honestly don't think it's going to be, you know, uh, you know, to that, you know, high level. And also, do I think one will surpass the other? It's very difficult to say because they're both so early on in their careers. And also another thing that, you know, I kind of wanted to point out is that, you know, while Mbappe has, you know, a stacked French team behind him, Holland has a Norway, a Norway team, a Norwegian team who doesn't have a lot of talent, you know. So Holland can't really compete on the international level like Mbappe can. So I, if we want to take that into account, I know it's it, for me, I really don't know. My my gut is telling me Mbappe will win that debate in the next 5, 10, 15 years. But for me, it's a little too early to say. Yeah, I mean, the only little thing I can add to this is maybe Holland decides, you know, screw Norway, I'm going to England. He has that option. Then that breaks it open. But yeah, otherwise, I, I sort of agree with Rohan. Mbappe takes the lead for me. Yeah, I, I agree too. Mbappe is going to have dominance on the world stage. And I just kind of I like his game a little more overall. I feel like because of his dynamic speed and athleticism that it creates opportunities for his teammates. Like we saw in the final, uh, I mean, the teammate missed the shot, but he got a wide open look in the box just because of Mbappe's ability to mess everything up and use that athleticism to his advantage. So I think he's, uh, with because of the presence on the world stage, he'll make a real case, you know, 10 or so years from now to overtake and, uh, some people. And honestly, Holland honestly is a robot. So like, it's very like early to say like the 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 ability that Holland has to just receive the ball, create something out of nothing, and score is unreal yeah. and almost like like we've never seen it before. So I think it's gonna be yeah. really interesting, and I think it's gonna be close, and we'll have you know a great you know great two players to watch for the next five yeah. ten. Yeah, two two more things just real quick before we get on to college football. One, I wanted to briefly mention Rohan and I's terrible bad beats we had during that World Cup final. I mean. Rohan bet on an Mbappe hat trick. Um, unfortunately, it was a regular time only bet. Um, same thing happened to me with Messi scoring two or more, more goals. I mean, you hate to see it. I, I really thought I was going to get some money in the bank there. But, you know, I checked flip, no money in the bank. So it's unfortunate. Yeah, you know, the I, last saw, thing, I saw that X and I was really depressed. And like I hit up Michael. I was like, dude, Mbappe scored a hat trick. Let's go. Yeah. And I checked and no cigar. It's very depressed. Yeah. Kind of sucks. but um. Yeah, the other thing is, you know, maybe a bit more personal for you, Rohan. You want to kind of talk about your what your mishap in, in midway through the game at all? Or all right, listen, listen, listen. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to go into very specific. No, I won't. I won't. I won't to save the viewers from you know what hearing what what actually happened. But um, you know, unfortunately, because the World Cup is in Qatar, you know, games start relatively earlier on in the morning, and you know. Someone like me who doesn't like to wake up super, you know, early. I woke up like right before the game, right? So I rolled out of bed, you know, 
immediately sat on my couch to watch the game. Saw the first for, saw the first goal, Argentina. France was on the counter. I was like, all right, France is gonna France is gonna have a chance here. They didn't, you know, make anything of it. So I was like, all right, this is a great opportunity, you know, for me to leave, you know, use the bathroom, come back, you know, get ready for the rest of the game. And while you know that was happening, I missed probably the best goal in my opinion of the of the final was the Argentina buildup. Di Maria's goal and the Argentina went up 2-0. This all happened, you know, while I was away. And these guys are flaming me for it. But, Michael, what you don't know is that Sam had it worse than I did. Sam, care to explain? Uh, I saw Argentina go up 2-0 in the second half. And like Rohan, I had also just rolled out of bed to watch and felt a little disgusting. So seeing a 2-0 lead, I figured, well, now's a good time to go hop in the shower and come back and start my day. And I come out of the shower, and all of a sudden it's 2-2 tied up. Bro, took oh, a this, shower voluntarily like, during the like, World Cup final. Bro, we, we cannot let this happen. All right? it's, gosh, what are we doing? What guys, are we we're doing, human. So? We're human. All right, we all, you know. Hey, I saw a two zero lead. I thought no way Argentina can choke this away. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Yeah. Um, man, France is dangerous. France is dangerous. Always been dangerous. So now that we're done with all the football discussion or soccer discussion, take your pick. Uh, we're gonna now discuss. Uh, American football. So we're going to start with college football. I'm going to start with some bowl game breakdowns, give you the inside scoop. Um, this week, we're only doing three games. We got a huge slate next week, though. Um, four games. We got the two um, college football uh, playoff semifinal games. Um, uh, and then we got um, Tennessee Clemson and uh, Kansas State versus Bama. So first game I'm going to kind of break down is Oregon placing or facing off against North Carolina. Um, this one's going to be pretty quick. I think the breakdown is, is honestly kind of simple. Um, Drake May is expected to play, as is Bo Nix. Um, most, both teams are, are pretty much at full strength, I, I would say. Um, not like any major losses, and if there are any, it's, it's pretty equal on both sides. Um, I think North Carolina's pass defense is pretty abysmal, um, pretty embarrassing, to be honest. No offense to any uh, UNC Chapel Hill residents. Um, and, uh, you know, Oregon just so happens to have the fourth best offense in the country in terms of yards per game. Um, Bo Nix has also been on a tear. He's super hot. Um, I think Drake May and company kind of keep it close because of their, their lethality through the air. I mean, Oregon isn't as strong of a defense through the air as they are on the ground, I would say. Uh, actually, they're pretty strong in both. But, um, yeah, I, I think Drake May is able to keep it close. I mean, that, that USC offense uh, has over 117 passing a game. Uh, my score prediction is Oregon winning that game uh, 37 to 30. Uh, probably going to be a pretty high scoring game. I'm not sure what the over under is, but uh, I'd probably take the over on, you know. I mean, Oregon is also like a 14 point favorite. So I think North Carolina uh, covers. Um, that, that line is pretty like ridiculous in my opinion. But yeah, you never know. Maybe Vegas knows something I don't. They probably do. Uh, the next game I'll break down is Tulane versus USC. I think Sam and I kind of had uh, a disagreement on who's going to be you know, the winner of this game. Um, so the real, the, the big question is whether Caleb Williams is going to play in this game or not. He's come out and said that he is really emphatic about playing. He doesn't think that a hamstring injury is too much of a problem. You know, we kind of saw the dog in him uh, when he was playing against Utah, I believe it was. And, you know, Lincoln Riley came out and said, you know, I wanted to pull him, but like he would not let me. Um, yeah, I think he, he's a real fighter and he's going to want to fight to be in this game. 
And it seems that, you know, Lynn Riley is receptive to him, you know, playing through injury. Um, to me, it doesn't really make much sense why you risk um, a Heisman Trophy winner who's going to be coming back next year, re-injuring his hamstring in a bowl game. I think bowl games have really lost their meaning, lost their value. And I mean, if you if you still find the value in it um, as like a player via like Caleb Williams, um, all all the power to you. And like I have mad respect if you do. Um, the only thing is like at the end of the day, you know, you want you want a big goal bowl game. But if that's at the expense of losing, you know, your star quarterback for next year, um, I'm not really sure. So sure it's worth it. Um, so the big question is whether he plays or not. Um, USC is out a couple of starting, you know, NFL caliber offensive linemen in this game. Uh, they have Brett Neuland out and um, Andrew Voorhees out. Um, so they're both injured, unfortunately. Um, and then they're also losing a linebacker who totaled 43 tackles this season, um, another lower impact wide receiver. Um, on the other hand, Tulane isn't really missing any other guys. They're they're at full strength. Um, so it's it's a full strength Tulane team against, you know, a USC team that might not even have Caleb Williams. Um, and I think that this game kind of breaks down and, and it's certainly going to come down to play games um you know see as much than Tulane has been um Tulane is slightly better in the run game um and overall I just think USC has the edge offensively um maybe that gap closes a bit with the guys they have out maybe it doesn't um I guess we'll see um when the game plays out but yeah at defensively on the other side of the ball I think USC is kind of near that they're in the bottom third defensively in the country Tulane sits at the top third, which is a really big discrepancy, I think. Um, and I think that Tulane will be able to like limit USC's offense enough um, to actually pull off a pretty big upset. And I think that they come out victorious in this game. Uh, Tulane 34, USC 31. I think it should be a pretty close game. You know, we could see a star like Caleb Williams just take over. Um, you know, you can never rule that out. But I think while Tulane has, you know, some major slip ups, um, like in their in their slate of games this year, you know, they had that loss to Southern Miss. Um you know, and then despite beating them a couple of weeks ago, they did lose to UCF. Um, USC's kryptonite seems to be, you know, Cam Rising in Utah, which we'll be discussing next. Um, but what I don't think it's talked about enough is the fact that, you know, USC has had a lot of really close games this year against teams that, you know, we wouldn't really expect them to. I mean, there's the close call against Cal Berkeley, against UCLA, Arizona, Oregon State. And, you know, a lot of those like UCLA and Oregon State are, are pretty solid teams, but keeping it close against, you know, Cal and Arizona are, you know, it, to me, that's shown size. It, showed, it shows signs of susceptibility, um, especially to a team like Tulane, who's hungry. I think they, they know how to play really well, good ball. Um, they've been playing good ball most of the year. Um, so, yeah, I think Tulane actually pulled out the upset here. Uh, Sam, you disagree? Uh, yeah, I mean, when, to your last point, I've seen a lot of good teams keep it close with some not good teams. I I saw Kent State keep it close with Georgia. I saw Georgia almost get beaten by Missouri. You know, USF keeping it close with UF and UCF. But ultimately, for me, it's just uh, if Caleb Williams walks on that field, he's going to win. I he think he's just he's the real deal. And even though Jordan Addison, I just think um, he can oh, he throws guys open and he makes guys around him better. Uh, Tulane, to me, also comes off as very fraudulent. A loss to Southern Miss, like you said, and uh, a not so great, UC, an overrated UCF team, I should say, because they were ranked. Um, just doesn't sit well with me, even though they did redeem that loss against UCF. I just think, uh, you know, you're playing the American Conference, you've got your teams, you know, you've got your Tulane, your UCFs, your Cincinnati's, but uh, USC showed it all year. They beat Oregon State, they beat UCLA, like they beat, you know, they beat Notre Dame. Uh, and yes, you lost to Utah twice. Uh, I'd much rather have the Utah losses than UCF and SMU. 
So uh, just to me, it comes down to if Caleb Williams steps on that field, I think he's the number one overall pick next year. You know, he's that guy. I think he'll make everyone around him better. And it'll be high scoring and, you know, whatever the spread is, Tulane can probably cover it. But I think USC does come out on top. Lincoln Riley's a better coach and Caleb's a better quarterback. Well, yeah, the spread just so happens to be USC winning by only one and a half. So yeah, I, think so, okay. Vegas think, I think Vegas thinks this game is going to be very close. I, I would agree. Um, I think another big question is if Tulane can kind of capitalize on, you know, USC having those two big guys um, on their O-line out, um, maybe wreak some havoc on, on a guy like Caleb, Caleb Williams. Maybe that's a factor in Lincoln Riley's decision, either hold him um, or play him. Um, but we shall see. Um, the last game we'll cover today, uh, only three games, is um, number eight, Utah, versus number 11, Penn State. And remember, these rankings are, you know, college football playoff rankings via the committee, not the AP poll. Um, I much prefer the JP poll. Um, but, yeah, so Penn State has an NFL-caliber wide receiver and corner that are going to be out. Um, they have a left tackle out with injury. Um, Utah, on the other hand, um, they have um, a very, very good uh, tight end in Boston Kincaid, um, who's going to be headed to the draft. Um, they have a star corner, Clark Phillips, the third. It's also heading to the league and then a running back also heading to the league who is a part of a three-man rotation. So not in a big, as big of a loss at, at running back, but, you know, both teams have some considerable losses on both sides of the ball, um, you know, and when you look at the numbers defensively, these teams are almost identical. Um, you know, they're giving up almost the same um, yards per game every game. Um, and that's also specific to their rush defense and their pass defense, um, almost identical defenses. Um, but on the other side of the ball, Utah averages about, you know, 40 more yards per game. Um, and almost all that difference is it takes place via the ground game. They almost both teams average about the same amount of pass yards per game. Um, Utah has a slight edge um, uh, through the ground game. Um, and, you know, I think it stays close as advertised. You know, Vegas has this as a, as a two and a half point spread in favor of Utah. Um, I have way too much faith in Cam Rising and in the Utah uh, team. I think they're very well coached. They're very disciplined. Um, and, you know, I saw them come into Gainesville and that's not a very, you know, pleasing, uh, welcoming environment. Um, and they, they handled it very well. They probably should have won that game the way that they played. Um, you know, we, we somehow found a way to win, but like they have been a very solid team all year. Like we just alluded to, um, they have those two wins against USC. Um, USC is a very, very solid team. Those are two very impressive wins. Um, that's not to say they aren't, you know, um, invincible, but I do think that, you know, they get it done. My final score prediction, Utah 31, Penn State 27. Still stays close. Um, but, yeah, I think James Franklin is, is too good of a coach to, to keep it from being a – or to allow it to be a blowout. But, yeah. So that's kind of where we're at with the bowl games. Like I said before, we're going to cover Tennessee, Clemson, Kansas State, Bama, um, and the, the semifinal games next week. Um, a couple other news pieces of information in the college football world. Uh, the transfer portal, Devin Leary has found a home. He's headed to Kentucky. Um, you know, a big question is, you know, is this really an upgrade from Will Levis? I think it might be, but like we discussed last week, he does have that pec injury. We shall see. He's a very similar style um, quarterback. So I think that's a pretty great get by um, Kentucky. Um, I, I, you can't applaud them enough really there. Um, in terms of Florida, they also found their guy. Um, to me, it's a little bit more underwhelming, though, uh, in Graham Mertz. I mean, my friend goes to Wisconsin. Uh, he's had the uh, unfortunate experience of being able, being able to watch him throughout the year. It's really underperformed, I think. And, you know, may, maybe he, is, he, he turns out to be a really good guy. Um, you know, he, he has the raw talent. He was a top 65 or he was a top 45 overall guy 
in the 21 class. No, wait, sorry. No, he was a five-star. Um, oh, what am I saying right now? Hold up. Yeah, no, he was he was a really good guy in his class. He was like a top 65 guy. Um, I think he was like the number four overall pro-rated quarterback in his class. Um, so, you know, he has the raw talent. Maybe Napier can help bring that out in him. Maybe that'll be good quarterback competition uh, with our five-star commit, Jaden Rashada. Maybe that'll elevate his game to the next level. We shall see. Um, but although it's really unlikely, I would really still like to get uh, Grayson McCall from Coastal Carolina. Um, he was my number one guy going into the transfer portal. I think he's really balled out, um, you know, this year. But, you know, I'm not really so sure that's possible now that we have, like, an extra um, addition to the, the quarterback room. Um, that's just extra competition that Grayson McCall probably – um, doesn't have to experience if he chooses another school. Um, but in addition to finding our quarterback, we also got a very good linebacker from Ohio State, uh, Taraja Mitchell. He was a top 45 overall guy, overall guy in the top uh, in the 21 class, um, number four inside linebacker in the country in that class. Um, he was a pretty electric guy um, this like last year, but this year his usage kind of dwindled throughout the season, kind of lost that starting role. Um, and you know he can really fill in a huge hole for the Gators. I think that. One big thing we were missing was, you know, outside of Ventral Miller, we didn't really have much of a, much of a force at linebacker. So I think this will be a really great great addition. And lastly, to wrap up the, all the transfer portal news, um, about less than an hour ago, actually, uh, Travis Hunter just announced that he will be committing to Colorado and uh, Deion Sanders. So, you know, your corner is never safe with Deion Sanders. And that's kind of a testament to what we saw today as well um, on early signing day. So early signing day, huge day. Um, very exciting. We're going to kind of transition to that now. But, you know, Deion Sanders, I, I'm assuming he was the reason uh, Cormani McLean, you know, was not there to eat his beautiful cake that was presented to him at Lakeland High School earlier today. The five star was committed to Miami, did not sign today. Very interesting news. Um, I think that, you know, although Miami kept most of their other guys, I think that makes them one of the biggest losers of today. It really seems that, you know, Colorado is picking up some steam here. Um, and Vinay kind of texted me about it earlier today, too, you know. Before I heard any of this news, I was like, you know, Colorado definitely, you know, isn't in the mix. Um, I was thinking maybe he could go to Georgia. Maybe Florida could sneak in there, too. Um, but, you know, it, it seems as if a couple of predictions have come in for him to just switch up and go to Colorado and Deion Sanders. Um, another big loser in the transfer portal today for me, um, or not in the transfer portal, early, early signing day was Notre Dame. Um, Oregon pretty much schooled them today. Um, they lost um, five-star uh, Peyton Bowden from Notre Dame. Um, he was a sa really, really um, coveted safety. Um, and then they also lost running back Jaden Lemur to Oregon as well, uh, who was a four-star. Um, so those are my two biggest losers, Notre Dame and Miami. Um, as far as my biggest winner, I have to give it to Oregon. I mean, they they swept the house. I mean, they, they, they lost Dante Moore um, earlier in the week, which I'm going to get to in one second. But, you know, they really made up for it today. I think they snagged a couple of five stars, um, Mateo Uyagale, um, you know, brother of DJ Uyagale. Um, he's on that D line in Oregon Should be a great addition to a defense of my coach and Dan Lanning over there uh, on the West coast, the PAC 12, um, should be a pretty big force. Um, they got a ton of other four stars this day, like today, um, that they really like locked down. So, uh, a great day for them as well. Um, I think some of the other winners today were, you know, Alabama, obviously they got, um, you know, Quay Rousseau, James Smith. Um, two five stars from Carver High School, like I discussed last week. Um, you know, my prediction happened to be correct. You know, this is the content you want to keep coming back to, all the accurate predictions. Um, but, you know, Auburn also stole uh, Kendrick Falk from um, FSU. Sorry, Sam. It had to be said. Um, 
but yeah, Georgia, UCLA, and Texas all had some some pretty good days as well. And then to wrap it up, um, some recruiting news. Dante Moore, like I said earlier, he flipped um, to UCLA from Oregon. That's a pretty big loss for Oregon fans, despite their pretty good day today. Um, me personally, he was my number one quarterback in this class. I watched a little bit of his film compared to some of the other top prospects um, at that position. And, you know, I liked what he, what I saw more than anything else uh, from any other, you know, quarterback in this class. Um, you know, even with Malachi Nelson, Arch Manning, and, and, you know, Nico in this class, I think that he is just so consistent and so lethal. Um, he, he just throws a beautiful ball and, like, I don't know. He just, he just looks amazing out there. Like looks like no one can touch him. Um, another really, really big commit um, for Bama uh, was Caden Proctor. He flipped from, from Iowa. I mean, this is like a six, eight guy weighs 335 pounds, uh, plays tackle. He's the best tackle in the class. Um, so, you know, Nick Saban just continues to, to reload and reload every single year. I don't know why people look surprised. He just does it every single year. Um, and, you know, this could cause some momentum, you know, in, in, into the future as well. I mean, we saw it today with Paul Rousseau and James Smith. Um, will it continue into the future? We're not sure. Um, like I said before, you can't count them out in the Cormani McLean races either. Um, you know, he, they were definitely in that discussion um, alongside um, Florida and Miami earlier in his recruitment. But yeah. And on that note of Cormani McLean, you know, he did not commit today, like I said. Um, so a big question is, you know, will Dion get his second straight top corner? Um, me personally, I think all signs are kind of kind of pointing in his direction right now. Um, you know, him him on the other side of the of the field across from Travis Hunter is a deadly duo. I mean, you're talking like the definition of lockdown corners being coached by who I believe to be the best corner of all time. Um, I don't think that there, you know, would be a better corner duo in the country. Um, I, I mean, I know that's saying a lot, especially because he is a freshman, but I think he just is that talented. Um so, yeah, I don't know. I, I I was saying it earlier. I still think there's a pretty solid chance he, he goes to Miami, probably over 50%. Um, but it, Colorado is is definitely in the mix now. Um, I've heard some rumors that, you know, Miami people on the inside are saying, you know, no, we're, we're still good on him. Um, there was like some miscommunication that happened today. But I do think Colorado has become serious contenders. And like I said, you can never rule out Bama. Any thoughts on, on Cormani? If not, we can talk about, you know, Colorado and Dion more generally. Uh, I think we can get the, we'll get to Colorado in a sec, but I mean, you know, still on them now. Well, I do think there's a shot uh, Dion flips them. If I, you know, if you really made me bet on it, I would probably say that Miami just finishes it off. Maybe there was something wrong with NIL or maybe he's just uh, slightly rethinking, but I think he ends up going there. Maybe just wants to see last minute what other schools come in see if someone makes a sweeping offer. But uh, that would be while that would be huge for Dion to get two straight number one corners in the nation, and that would turn that Colorado defense into a deadly force. Uh, I think he just. Um, I think for now he goes to Miami. I'm not a crystal ball or a Miami fan. I think that most of these five stars will end up transferring out, so we'll see what happens there. But for now, I think he's a hurricane next year. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If I was a betting man, I'd probably put my money on Miami too. Um, but yeah, it's. It'll, it might become a closer race than people think. Um, I don't know. We shall see for sure. Um, and that kind of generates a, a much more holistic um, review that we can kind of discuss on, you know, Colorado, um, how they look in the future going forward with Dion there. Um, uh, so, you know, is Colorado kind of shaping up to be, you know, a real Pac-12 contender? 
how quickly can they become a contender if they ever will become one? Um, what do you all kind of think? I don't know. I, I'm interested to see what Shadur does with that offense. Shadur Sanders, you know, Dion's son. Um, this is this is also a step up for him, for sure. I used to watch, like, on those Snapchat originals, there was a Snapchat original of back when Dion uh, coached Trinity Christian in Texas at the high school level. There was a whole documentary around it. So I would watch that and watch all the episodes of, like, Coach Coach Prime in high school and how he was coaching his son, Shadur, and how Shadur was balling out and this and that. So I've kind of seen Shadur go from there to Jackson State. So now, like, fully in the spotlight, Pac-12. And back then I was watching because I was like, oh, this is interesting seeing, like, Deion Sanders as a coach. Like, kind of funny to watch. But now it's legit. Like, he's proven he's a legit coach. And uh, I think that, you know, I'm interested to see how him and Shadur, like, if they can continue this upwards trajectory or if they hit their peak. And hopefully they haven't because I'll be rooting for them. Yeah, did y'all know that Deion Sanders uh, was a former um, MLB player? He played for a lot of teams. I did not know this. Well, yeah. according, according to Wikipedia, he played for like the Yankees, the Braves, Giants. Oh, Jackson-esque. Yeah, but... he made one World Series appearance in 92, but didn't win it. Yeah, I was almost alive for that. Just you know, 10 years off. Um, Sam, do you have any thoughts on, or, or Rowan, yeah. do you have any thoughts um, on future it's, it's of Colorado? It's going to be an interesting first year. Uh, he's gotten some talent today on National Signing Day, a couple four stars to commit. Um, I think one or two top 100 guys, but one for sure uh, committed. So, you know, he's doing his thing. He's getting together. Uh, if he, We'll see what he does with Cormani. But uh, one thing we shouldn't forget is that Shador, he was a – he was a four-star recruit coming out. So, like, he has the arm talent. Like, he's, you know, he can play. He's mature enough. He's, like, I think he's ready for this. And uh, he was definitely, he had a Bama offer, too, coming out of high school. So, the guy was touted. Like, you know, he's definitely someone who's capable of playing at Colorado. Travis, if he does play receiver there, will give him an elite weapon to throw to. So, um, I think they'll be good. Do I think they'll be a contender next year? Not quite. You know, I, I think they're, we still have USC, I believe, will still be in the Pac-12 next year. I don't think that agreement takes kicks in just yet. But USC, Oregon, Utah, Oregon State, if they get a quarterback, I think all these teams are probably ahead of them for the time being, uh, which kind of brings up an interesting question that I wanted to ask you guys, is what record is a success for Dion next year? Is it making a bowl game? Is it just any more wins than they have now? What, what's a success for Deion Sanders next year? I mean, I think for me, it's a, probably a combination of the two. Um, you know, making a bowl game is, is a, 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 is a nice standard. Would you consider four and eight uh, a success next year? Not a success, but an, you know, something to rave about. Well, what was the record last year? You know, one and or one and ten or one and eleven, but it was one win. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I don't think success for Dion, as Dion defines it, is anything more than one win. It's probably at least making a bowl game and you know okay. showing some type of competitive nature with you know those top programs you mentioned, like. Oregon, Utah, um, Oregon State, like, and I don't think that that happens very quickly. I think it takes a while, if at all, uh, for yeah, Dion for sure. to, to kind of compete with those class. schools. Um, those those schools are very, very um, well run. Um, they've been that way. Well, Oregon State is is more of a recent one, but Oregon and Utah and USC. Um, I mean, they've they've they're kind of fine old machines. Um, but I don't know. I think a successful season for Dion would be making a bowl game. Um, you know, Colorado is a program that has one of the worst 
I think it's the second worst um, win percentage in all of college football yeah. history, um, second to Kansas. And, you know, that to turn a program around like that, that would be something very impressive to do. And I think it, it, it takes a while to do that. So I think making a bowl game would be a success. Anything less wouldn't necessarily be an absolute failure, depending on how they lose games. Are they losing close games or are they getting blown out? You can't do the worst record wise. I mean, unless you don't win any. Yeah, technically, technically, yeah. But yeah, that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, I mean, in my very limited knowledge of college football, you know, I think that Deion Sanders is a fantastic recruiter. Like what he did at JSU recruiting, um, I think. Do I do it? Do I think that, you know, that recruiting will kind of just like cross over to Colorado? Not really. Like what Michael was talking about, historically, the program has not been good. I think in a few years, maybe, you know, it'll be to, to you know, a higher level. Uh, but yeah, uh, I agree. Um, I don't think you could do much worse. And I think anything better than what years prior is a success. But I also don't think that he's like the type of coach to judge like success off of wins and losses. I think, you know, if there's actual improvement within like the program, within the players and the ability to succeed long term, I think he would, you know, consider that a success uh, for the program in the long term. Yeah. And year one, it's just all about he seems like he's all in on changing the culture. You know, that's that's his big thing. So I think a major culture change, culture change in the in the locker room. We may not see it translate immediately on the field, but I feel like he'll take that as a success. Yeah, I mean, when we really look at it, it's going to – we can't judge him too harshly off the first year. He's got to – he needs to get, you know, a couple recruiting classes of his own where he's not rushed into it right before signing day. So, I mean, next year is going to be his year with a uh, – his first full year with a, a full recruiting class that's all his. So, I mean, it'll, it'll take time. I don't think we can rush to make a decision on him. Just as long as he improves and – uh, next year will be a real testament to his recruiting abilities. So I, I think we'll really see this develop over the next two or three seasons. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm also probably somewhat skeptical of his ability to, you know, call plays at the level that, you know, is that that occurs in the power five. I mean, it's a it's a it's still a pretty big jump, even though it's not, you know, it's no SEC, it's no Big Ten. Um and it, the Pac twelve is still uh, much better than, you know, not being a, a power five school and it's going to take a lot. Than the Big Ten. What? This year, at least. This past year, I'd say the Pac-12 did better than the Big Ten. I mean, maybe holistically, but if we're talking like... Depth-wise. Yeah, depth-wise, maybe. That's like there's a discussion to be had there. But um, at the top, I mean, obviously the Big Ten is better. But, yeah, no, um, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I think it probably takes a while. Um, if it does happen, I would probably give it at least two or three years. Uh, at least three, in my opinion. But, yeah. All right. I think with that being said, we can probably move on to um, some other people playing football that just so happen to be professionals getting paid a lot more uh, money. All right. Let's do it. All right. So, um, yeah. So getting into week 16 of the NFL season, a uh, quick recap of week 15. Dolphins bills. Last week we talked about it extensively on the show. I'll say uh, wholeheartedly, I was wrong. Um, I thought this Dolphins team would get blown out in Buffalo. I thought the moment would be too big for that offense to succeed. That offense looked good. I was really impressed with how they kept up with Buffalo. Just unfortunate that Buffalo got that last possession and they were able to win by a field goal, but certainly kept it close. And I think that the Dolphins, seeing that performance on the road in December, if they sneak into the playoffs as a wild card, they 
whoever they're playing is on upset alert. That's what that game showed me. Um, and definitely wasn't thinking that before this game. So I still think no matter, even though it was a loss, pretty encouraging stuff from the Dolphins. Um, Jags Cowboys last week, got to talk about it. The collapse from the from the Cowboys. I think that, I don't know if there are any Cowboys fans here, Cowboys fans uh, that are listening, but you know, this proved they are the classic Cowboys. And while they're going to make the playoffs, they're not going to win the division. This game against the Eagles is not going to be what you guys thought it would be, which was a one-off for the division. Now you guys have screwed yourselves over. Uh, Cowboys fans always have a target on their back from the rest of the NFL audience. And, you know, that that loss really had, had other fans lighting them up, including me. Cowboys are frauds. Enough said. You guys are not winning the division or going very far in the playoffs. Um, Lions-Jets. That was a game I spotlighted last week. And, you know, Lions proved me right, but that was a close one. And I'm I'm really rooting for this Lions team to sneak into the playoffs. Uh, very impressive going on the road, even though they're facing Zach Wilson, who that game really showed me. You know, you have everything, everything to prove after being benched. Pretty up and down performance, but overall not too impressive from Zach Wilson. So uh, Lions proved me right. Zach Wilson also proved me right. Uh, he's not the answer. For the Jets long term, uh, unable to get it done for for uh, for his team for sure, and uh, <clears throat> got to talk about that Vikings upset last week. You know, thirty three nothing down. I was a Viking. I'm always going to be a Vikings hater as a Saints fan. So I was rejoicing in this collapse. I wake up on Saturday. You know, beautiful morning. Vikings are down thirty three nothing at halftime. I'm happy. Um, and then I leave home, come back to the Vikings making a miraculous comeback that'll definitely bring them all together and make them really, really, really hard to beat um, in dire circumstances uh, going forward. So, yeah, that upset was as good as it gets in terms of straightening out the kinks and providing a real wake-up call to a team while also giving them a huge morale boost. So watch out for the Vikings. Would yeah, that be good? Oh, yeah, if anyone wants yeah, to. Yeah, I just want to say something. So, like, when I said earlier that, you know, it was the best weekend for sports in, in history, in addition to the Vikings making, you know, the biggest comeback in NFL history, uh, we also got to mention the atrocity that was the New England, the New England Patriots game. Do, do you mind kind of just briefly touching on that, Vinay? I mean, what happened? Yeah, I think, you know, you guys are Dolphins fans, so I'm sure that was a very satisfying moment. Um, but, yeah, that is so – a Bill Belichick team undergoing that kind of – colossal error is is just so hilarious to me um because you know they talk all about that stoic culture in new england and how everyone is so serious and there's no fooling around and there's no unnecessary like tricks and flicks and you see something like that happen boneheaded play such a boneheaded play um yeah i just think it's hilarious because if you think about the context this is against a horrible raiders team an underperforming team. Patriots desperately need this win to stay alive in the playoffs. And it's Bill Belichick at the helm. Last play of the game, tie game. You've come back and then you throw it away like that. I don't know. As a neutral fan, it's hilarious to me that it, it happened to the Patriots. What do you guys think? I don't know. It, it, it was it was pretty like shocking, to be honest. Like When I saw it, I was like, like actually, what is happening? happening right now like what 
is going through Jacoby Myers' mind. I mean, after the game, I saw the interviews. Bro looked kind of sad. I mean, I can't help but feel bad for the guy. Like, probably getting, like, slandered like crazy up there in Boston. But, man, oh, man, like, what a way to end, to end the game. And, uh, you know, just some sometimes that stuff happens. And, and I guess when it happens against a divisional rival, um, kind, of, kind of funny at the same time. So, yeah. But with that, I mean, you mind giving us a little breakdown of, you know, what you expect this upcoming week, week 16? Yeah, yeah. So some games have spotlighted. Uh, first and foremost, tomorrow's game, or I guess today's game, since we are recording uh, pretty late. But uh, Jaguars-Jets, I like this game a lot. I'm going to be tuning in for sure. Um, you know, Mike White back at the helm for this game. So that's a big deal for the Jets. I don't think Zach Wilson competes in this game. And unfortunately, we won't get to see the whole number one versus number two overall pick matchup but i think that debate is all but done um i think my prediction for this game is i have enough respect for that jets defense to say my instinct tells me trevor lawrence he's been on a tear he runs through the jets it doesn't it's not even close but that jets defense is legit i mean they held down a lions offense for you know three quarters and that final drive when they were up 17 14 was the killer but i respect that defense but I respect them enough to say that Trevor Lawrence wins this game in the fourth quarter. I think we see it come down to that. I think him and Mike White go to the toe in three quarters. Mike White has a decent run, but you know, ball in Trevor Lawrence's hand in the fourth quarter. We've seen some pretty incredible, incredible wins from him. And that performance against Dallas was was really, really impressive in my eyes. And that momentum is going to be carried forward into a dramatic but uh, momentum building fourth quarter win because they are fighting for that division and the Jets are kind of on a downward trajectory. So yeah, everything tells me that this game will go down, come down to the fourth quarter. Trevor Lawrence leads the Jags to a victory. Um, Giants Vikings. That's another game that I've spotlighted. I know what I just said about the Vikings. It's depressing to see them have such a heartwarming win. You know, it always seems like, the Vikings are on the other side of heartbreak for me. And I just want to see them heartbroken, um, you know, 2017 Minneapolis miracle, whatnot. But yeah, coming off that they're facing a giants team and the spotlight that I'm going to highlight last week, it was Mike McDaniel as a coach against the bills in Buffalo. I'd say he came out pretty well and uh, that offense executed this week. I'm saying wink Martindale, that giants defensive coordinator, I actually just figured out last week that his first name is not actually Wink. It's Don. I thought this man's actual name was Wink. And, you know, I just have been rooting for him ever since. I think he's a super cool sounding guy. And his defense, I've been rooting for them all year. I think he's done a great job with this Giants defense. You look at the personnel that they have, maybe not the greatest, but the way that they play and just the tenacity. We saw it against Washington. I think we're going to see them give Minnesota some some trouble, specifically Justin Jefferson. I'm trying to see what Wink Martindale does to limit Justin Jefferson. If, Jeff, if Jefferson gets under eight catches and under 80 yards, I think the Viking, I mean, I think the Giants win this game. Uh, I think it comes down to that exact sort of stat line where it's limited. It uh, doesn't get that many big plays when Martindale comes on top. And uh, last but not least, I've spotlighted the Eagles-Cowboys game. And I know that this game has lost its pomp, its flair, ever since the Cowboys sold 
the NFC East last week against the Jaguars and the fact that Jalen Hurts is going to be out for this game. But I think we're going to see some fireworks in this game, particularly with Nick Sirianni. People have seen this Eagles team dominate the league all year, but who are we really going to attribute that to? Who are we going to attribute that dramatic turnaround? The new weapons, the personnel, Jalen Hurts, or I think Nick Sirianni. I think he really cements himself as that guy in Philadelphia that has been bringing them all the success. I think a, a lot of people get shocked by the performance of this Philadelphia offense against what on the surface is a Cowboys defense that's highly coveted. Hasn't shown up the last few weeks, but I think Eagles-Cowboys will be a relatively close game. Uh, unfortunately for Dallas fans, they'll have to undergo the humiliation of barely beating a depleted Eagles team while also having no shot at the division and, you know, sort of proving to the world they are not necessarily the threats in the playoffs that we think. Only way that they forego that headline is by blowing out the Eagles, in my opinion. Jalen Hurts-less Eagles, you got to be blowing them out, but I don't think that happens. I think Sirianni goes crazy and, you know, cements himself as one of the best because that offense, that Eagles offense, is a well-oiled machine. And, you know, coming off my preview – uh, if you guys have any thoughts on those games, uh, feel free to let let the audience know. Yeah, no thoughts really on last week's games. I think you pretty much covered everything, um, except the. I think one of the funniest moments of the of the of the game of the Bills game was the field goal team, like kind of just like shoveling the snow off of the field so we can get that last field goal kick because apparently you're not allowed to use like anything else besides your fucking hand. Oh shit! I can't curse. <laughs> blooper, bro. Major blooper. <laughs> Wait, what? Uh, you fucked up. Yeah, dude. You you suck. We definitely can't curse. I know that. Definitely get like one F bomb before it's. All right, yeah. We're allowed. All right, too, because Vinay said the F word also. Bro, that was just oh, ironic. Now we're R rated. Uh, <laughs> we should discuss this. R rated. We'll all right, let's just let's let's just discuss later whether we want to include this or not. If we do, we'll just keep all this stuff in. But you know, yeah. if not, they won't have the pleasure of seeing them. But no, it, like I agree entirely. Like um, one thing I will say though is when the Bills were doing that, I know we gotta like hurry this up and everything. They were removing the snow from the wrong part of the field though. Yeah, like, they were removing the snow from like the path of where like the snap was gonna go in the air, but not where like the run up was from the kicker. Yeah, um, from Tyler Bass, and I was like. Dude, like, what are y'all doing? Like, I know y'all are like trying to be funny and like, you know, it, it is helpful, but it's it's only helpful if you're doing it to like where he's actually gonna be. Like the ball like, is not gonna his, touch his the foot. ground. The ball is not gonna touch the ground while the snapper, like in between, like the guy snapping it and the snapper. Like, there's no reason yeah. to clear that section of the field. Yeah. I mean, I guess well, it was cool. Doing well. I won't hate. Doing no, too. I mean, we won. That's all that matters. So, Vinay, I got a a question for you. Not scripted at all or anything, but. Uh, who are your, you know, top five players right now in the NFL to watch? I mean, there are a ton of guys out there. I mean, you know, 52 times 32. I can't do that map in my head, but that's something over like 1,500 guys, right? Oh, yeah. No, my my top five favorite players in the league right now, not necessarily by skill or by ranking, just five guys that, like, you just love to see them cook right now. Uh, number one for me, Geno Smith. I, I'm, I'm loving what I'm seeing from Geno Smith. Uh, not just from a story perspective, you know, I've always 
I've been a fan sort of since Gino was like first coming into the league hype. So I've kind of seen how his career has gone up and down and up and down. But uh, that aside, just watching the way he plays um, in the Seahawks Saints game, he carved up the Saints with some of the most brutal, beautiful throws I've ever seen um, in clutch moments. And after that game, I was like, damn, I just saw firsthand this man Gino is real. And I've just been watching him ever since. And, you know, he's had a tough stretch, but I really like what I've seen from him. Just the way he commands that offense with so much confidence, so much swagger, even though, you know, he has a lot to he has a lot he's been through. Just you love to see Geno Smith. Another one for me, Fred Warner. Uh, I love that D'Amico Ryan's defense in San Francisco. D'Amico Ryan's is my favorite coordinator. And him and Wink in New York, those guys are legit DCs. Like those guys, those guys know what they're doing. And and Fred Warner at the centerpiece of that Niners defense, so fun to watch. You can just tell, like. He's a, he's that Luke Keekley that he's that new he's that he's cut from that cloth you know like you just can't get by him you can't outthink him he's always one step ahead at the line of scrimmage love to see that uh, Garrett Wilson you know not just because he was on my fantasy team but fantasy team aside that guy is exciting to watch on that Jets offense that you know doesn't have much to smile about these days but Garrett Wilson is. He's a dog. That's that's all I can really say. He's can I can I add that I was the one that drafted him and then traded him to Vinay? Just saying. I, yeah, 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 well, yeah. Should also add that you know you have some some shared partners on each of your fantasy teams, right? I mean, oh yeah, I mean I speak for my my partner Jono when I say that I drafted him. Of course. Can I, can I just say on the record that that trade was just a complete fleecing, and I regret doing that <laughs> to you guys. Like, <laughs> all right, it's fine. We bro, we're the two seed in our league. All right, Michael's on the winners bracket, so I don't want to hear. All right, first of all, I I wasn't saying anything about the trade. There's no reason to come for me. I folded in fantasy this year. I, I'm not in last place in any of my leagues, which I'm happy about. But I. That's beside the point. Don't let's not talk about it. Let's oh yeah, but hey, please continue. I I do apologize for interrupting you. Okay, yeah, no worries, no worries. Um, yeah, Garrett Wilson, dog. Enough said. Uh, Tariq Woolen, that guy is a beast. That is literally what I think of when I think of a prototypical CB one that I want on my roster. You know, I like to dramatize flag football that I play at UF. If there's a if there's a corner that I watch quote-unquote film on before my flag football bouts, it's got to be Tariq Woolen. The guy has insane length, insane speed, insane ball tracking. You know, he is my favorite corner in the league right now to watch. Yeah, that guy is just having an unbelievable rookie year, coming out of nowhere. I love watching those rookies that you don't really hear about in the draft process just come out and just take over. So definitely Tariq Woolen. And then finally, you know, I got to add a Saints player in there, but Rashid Shahid is a monster. He is literally the Tyree kill of the NFC South. You know, he's he's just a big play threat, exciting to watch with the ball. And as a Saints fan right now, he's the only bright spot on a pretty dismal offense. So and, and what a name, huh? Yeah, yeah name, what a legendary name. 100 name points right there. Just Rashid Shahid, so clutch. Yeah, so fun to watch. So what do you guys think about your favorite players you're watching? I mean, I only really started watching the NFL this year, honestly, because of you guys and a few of my other, you know, fellow Bills Mafia. Um, I, I curated a list right here, but it's not in any particular order. Um, number one, first player has to be Josh Allen. I mean, I've never seen 
in my limited viewing of the NFL player like him, um, you know, his his ability to just, you know, create not create something from nothing, whether that be, you know, on the ground or in the air. Um, you know, I think, you know, for me, he's uh in that in that conversation of, you know, one of the best in the league right now. And he just made just made the Pro Bowl. So kudos to him. Uh second, uh, I would say Justin Jefferson, bro's an absolute dog and on the Vikings. Uh, like Vinay, I'm not a huge Vikings fan, especially after what happened versus the Bills this season. But you got to give you know credit where credit is due. Um, for me, number three, a little bit of a kind of a, a weird pick, uh, especially for these guys who I watch football with, is TJ Watt on the Steelers. Who before you know I was I was a Bills fan. I would say I was a mini Steelers fan um, because of Ben Roethlisberger's name. Uh, when I used to play on like Xbox, I used to select the Steelers just because of his name. Um, and I kind of just watched the series from that. But yeah, PJ Watt, six interceptions this season, 76 career sacks. I mean, can't really, you know, get a better uh, defensive player than him. Uh, number four, former Gator running back for the Houston Texans, Damian Pierce, absolutely tearing it up in, in Houston. Not, not much to say there. One of my most iconic, like one of my favorite clips of him is, you know, him getting his helmet ripped off versus FSU last year. Um, absolute dog. And number five, who I think is going to be a top five corner, down the road, Kyir Elam, also a former Gator, also a Bills, also a Bills player. But yeah, those are my top five favorites in the league right now. Yeah, um, I don't have like too many favorites just off the top of my head. Um, I mean, obviously, Damian Pierce, Kyir, all the other Gator dogs that are in the league, they're all a bunch of certified dogs. But I guess if I had a name too, one would be Jalen Waddle. Um, you know, hated to see him get injured at Bama. Um, he's like a an absolute speedster, absolute track star. I love to watch him play. I mean, he had a big play um, last weekend against the Bills, um, just towards that defense. I mean, he caught that ball. He still had guys to beat, and he just outpaced them. It was it was great to see. And then, I mean, I haven't watched him like an extreme amount, but you gotta you gotta applaud uh, Brock Purdy for what he's doing um, in San Francisco. I mean, I mean, it's also a dog. He just went in there, found a way to win. Mister um, Irrelevant. Yeah, not so much anymore, huh? Yeah. Sam, what you think? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm just, I mean, I don't have too many favorites, but uh, just uh, no particular order. Love my Dolphin guys, Hill and Waddle. Those are definitely two people. If I had to pick one favorite, I'd say it's Tyreek Hill. Uh, Mahomes, just an incredible watch, pops right off your screen. Uh, Justin Fields, I'd probably say, because he's just so electric running the ball. And, you know, another Dolphins guy just shows some love, Javon Holland. Uh, I'd say those are my five. Any FSU players, so loved all of them. Asante Samuel, Jameis, those are all, you know, those are all some, some FSU guys I show love too. But those are probably my core five. With I'd say Hill is my number one. Hill or Waddle, it's interchangeable. All right, yeah. Um, with that, I, I think, you know, we get into the last segment of this week's podcast is our best bet section where we give you our takes on, you know, the best things, to, uh, the best bets to take for the weekend. Uh, recapping last week really quickly on the three bets that I took on the World Cup final. I went two for three. I correctly predicted, you know, the France-Argentina game going to, to extra time plus 200. Hit that. Anytime assist Griezmann, that was not a hit. Got subbed off in the 71st minute. Argentina was just able to contain him. Came out with the game plan, stuck to that game plan, and it ended up being Mbappe being the deciding factor. Um, corners three-way, France plus 120 hit. France had five, Argentina had four. By the skin of my teeth, I did hit that. 
So my overall record is two for three. I hope to go three for three uh, for this week with the following bets. All the bets on the Manchester City versus Liverpool game, which is coming up at 3 p.m. on Friday, December, on Thursday, December 22nd. Um, Manchester City versus Liverpool. I have Holland being the first goal scorer, plus 275. Like I said before, Holland is a robot. I think he's the best striker on the field. I think, um, you know, not without getting too deep into the game, I just think, you know, and Manchester City are going to strike first, and I think Holland's going to be, you know, you know that guy. He's a top goal scorer of, in the Prem right now. Uh, he has 18 goals versus Harry Kane's 12, and I just think, you know, he's going to be him tomorrow, or today, rather. Uh, my second bet is a Manchester City first half 3 a money line, plus 145. Um, I don't see Liverpool making a resurgence uh, from their, like, really, really terrible start to the Premier League. Um, the last time they played Liverpool actually ended up winning in the Prem uh, earlier on the season, but I just don't think that Pep Guardiola is going to come into this game, you know, with the same mindset and the same tactics. I definitely think, you know, Pep is not going to make those same mistakes that he did versus Liverpool. And finally, uh, Manchester City versus Liverpool, three-way corners again. I think corners are going to be, you know, my, you know, little specialty bets here over 3.9, uh, sorry, over nine and a half uh, corners for the whole game. The line is minus 130. Not huge winnings here, but the last time they played, it was, they had 11 corners. I think it's going to be more attacking this game than the last game, especially because this is an elimination game. So there's going to be a lot more on the line, a lot more attacking, a lot more corners. Yeah, I guess I'll go next. Um, you know, I like to kind of categorize my, my recap from last week's best bets as the good, the bad, and the ugly. So um, I went one, one out of three. Um, the good was, you know, Incarnate Ward covered. Um, they're a very reliable bet, as Renee will kind of allude to a little bit later, too. Um, Lindsey Scott Jr., three touchdowns over 360 total yards um, against North Dakota State. Uh, they almost won that game if it wasn't for a poor decision he made late uh, through an interception. Unfortunate. Uh, the bad, uh, Boise State didn't cover despite winning. Uh, North Texas kept it close despite not even having a head coach. Uh, very, very impressive um, from North Texas despite losing. And then the ugly, um, my Gators. Very unfortunate I had to watch that game. Um, they got mopped, I won't lie. A very sad day. Um, you know, it, it was really sad because a lot of fans were kind of celebrating that we, you know, continued the non-scoreless streak, the longest active streak in FBS history, um, just with that late field goal. But, yeah, very sad day. I guess we couldn't, you know, handle the loss of too many key players very well. But in all kinds of weather, though, in all kinds of weather, always. Um so, you know, unlike Rohan, who, you know, hopes to go three and three this week, I know I'm going three and three this week. Mm. Uh, you can lock these lock these in uh, at your own discretion. Obviously, I have to put that out there. But, you know, Washington Huskies, I'm taking their money line. Uh, it's plus 150. Um, you know, you can kind of refer to last week's breakdown. Great video. Um, but, you know, I think their pass attack is just too much for Texas. Texas is without their two best running backs. Um, and, you know, Quinn Ewers might be that guy. But, like, I just think Washington's going to be able to put up too much points. Too many points, sorry, not too much points. Too many points against that uh, that Texas pass defense. Um, also take North Carolina to cover um, the 14 or 15 point spread against um, Oregon. Um, I think it's way too gutsy of a call by Vegas to make a 15 point spread in a game like that. North Carolina is too lethal. They put up a lot of points. Um, I expect it to be, you know, a very high scoring game. Um, well, actually, not that high scoring. I think it's going to go back and forth in terms of scoring. The line right now is set at 73 and a half points. And I'm no mathematician, but that means each team has to score more than 36 points on average. 
Um, I don't think that happens, especially because I didn't say this earlier, but both of their offensive coordinators are out. So um, North Carolina does not have their offensive coordinator. Neither does Oregon. Um, I think it's going to be a lower scoring game than 73 and a half. Um, I'm probably more confident in that than North Carolina covering, to be honest. Uh, lastly is Mississippi State money line. Uh, it's minus 105 versus Illinois. I think that spread is like at one and a half or one in favor of Illinois right now. Um, I just think the SEC means more. Um, you know, Mississippi State has more talent. Um, they are ranked 29th versus um, Illinois' 57th in um, the 247 sports um, composite team talent rankings. And Illinois secondary is just um, very, very vulnerable. Um, you know, their projected first rounder and PFF's number two corner in the country, Devon Witherspoon, is an opt out. Um, and, you know, so is their five year starting safety, Sydney Brown. So um, they, they already didn't have, you know, the best pass defense, but losing those guys is, is really hard, especially if we don't have like extreme depth, depth behind them. So, yeah, y'all can lock those in. Don't worry about it. All right. I guess I'll, I'll give my breakdown of Benning. Um, last week was a pretty uncharacteristically good week for me. I went three for three on the bets that I proposed on here. Uh, first and foremost, Incarnate Ward, they're reliable. They they always get me right. They covered, even though they lost in a heartbreaker. Um, you can Panthers, trust their word, right? What? You can trust their word pretty much. Exactly. It's Incarnate. So, you know, whatever that means, it's reliable. So I'm Take just gonna, their word for it. Yeah, Incarnate basically just means reliable at this point. And um, Panthers downfall, I told you guys last week, Expectations were high for them, so you know they're going to disappoint. Steelers went in there, got the job done. Um, yeah, just, just that one was that one was easy money. And then Croatia, uh, just a reliable team. I had them in the third place game. I feel like Vegas overlooked that third place game and put the line at plus one sixty or whatever. So I hopped on that and it worked out. And so this week, you know, I'm feeling really confident. So my bets for this upcoming week, um, the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors. Uh, college basketball. You're probably thinking, oh, Vinay is a sucker for cool names. He's gonna he's gonna pick them. No, I'm going to fade the Rainbow Warriors. I'm going Pepperdine money line over the Rainbow Warriors. I'm picking an upset there. Um, Jaguars against the Jets tomorrow. Watch out for them. I'm taking them money line plus 100 to to beat them. And then Kansas Jayhawks against Arkansas. Remember Kansas. Remember that incredible run at the beginning of the year? Well, they're gonna they're gonna make some make some headlines and beat beat Arkansas in the bowl game. I have them at plus one thirty. You know, just just riding that kind of that Kansas train that that kind of left the station and became irrelevant a little bit. And now it's I'm I'm hoping that they end the season well. So that's my best bet segment. And um, yeah, hopefully they cash. All right, uh, I'll finish this off. Last week, not the best week, you know, only one for three, but my lock of the week did hit, and that was Bengals minus three and a half. I smashed that. That was a beautiful line, uh, and they hit. I had never, even down 17 to three, never doubted it. Just going to keep it short and sweet this week. Like Vinay said, he's got Jaguars money line. Great odds there. Um, God forbid the Jets squeak it out by, you know, a last-minute field goal. I'm just going to take Jags plus two. Still minus 105 only. It's a great line and taking the points. Uh, I locked that in. This one is a little different. It's only if Lamar does not play. Uh, eight Atlanta Falcons plus seven and a half. I think that is a huge line for um, Lamar being questionable. 
The offense with no Lamar has been abysmal. Huntley is in concussion protocol. We don't know if he'll be in or out. Even if he's in, I don't think it makes much of a difference because he has not been great. Duvernay goes down. No receivers left. Deshaun Jackson is your wide receiver one right now. Um, so plus seven and a half with no Lamar is an absolute steal. Um, Got to do it again. Cincinnati minus three and a half. They've got the Patriots. Uh, it's just minus 125, I believe. So that's... Actually, no, the odds on this are plus 100. So, you know, please lock that in right now while it is plus 100. So Cincinnati minus three and a half is amazing. And just in case that ATL won, uh, just in case Lamar plays, Lions money line against the Panthers. Again, like when they said, Panthers downfall. Couldn't even beat the Steelers. What makes me think they're going to beat the scorching hot Lions? So those are the four for the week. Lock those in. I'm locking it in. Let's make some money, guys. Uh, Just so y'all, yeah, and just, so y'all know, after like the last episode, we all sat on the same very call and locked these in ourselves. So you know, yeah. if y'all are losing, we're losing with y'all. Uh, if you're winning, you're don't say that's good. Yeah. yeah. Also, please research before you gamble. Gamble only what you can afford to lose. You know, keep gambling. Don't gamble out. responsibly. Don't, the more don't let the Rainbow Warriors fool you. All right. Cool name. Not so great basketball program. Pepper done. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure, y'all. Um, really appreciate y'all sticking around. If you watch the whole thing, uh, you're a goat. I mean, probably not many of you are going to do that, but it's probably a longer video. But please like it up, subscribe, and most importantly, leave some comments down there, whether it be some hot takes or some questions. Uh, we're going to add something to the episode probably next week even um, where we kind of respond to those. So really appreciate Good it. In next and week, we're going to have a big recap for you guys. Signing off. Peace out. All right. After hours exclusive, we finished episode, we finished recording, and Vinay forgot to say something. Vinay, the floor is yours. Yeah, you know, I was just talking about my bets on, on the podcast, you know, explaining them, and I really talked myself into them. Like, I'm feeling really ultra confident about this parlay that I've cooked up. So, you know, I'm willing to stake my dignity on this bet. So if this bet doesn't hit... Y'all decide a punishment for me next week on the podcast, whether I wear a bag over my head that says loser, shirt off, whatever. But y'all will see that I cook up these, these kind of like out of the out of the blue parlays and that and that they hit. So yeah. So so tuned. just to clarify, do you have to go three for three or do you have to lose one? And what what's the like the bright line for you to do the punishment? You know what? Let's start it off at 0 for 3 for now. If I go 0 for 3 in this, then I deserve to be punished because then okay. I let down the viewers. So, you know, yeah. All right. Uh, and I think the viewers should have an input as to what the punishment is. So if the viewers have a good idea as to the punishment, Vinay will suffer. If he does go over three, leave it in the comments down below. We will consider it and we will let you know if Vinay has to do it. Looking forward to it. Yeah. All right, guys. Take it easy.